Thursday, May 13th, 2021. Sup, everyone. I'm Paul Clark. Sup, Paul. Welcome to the podcast. This is the 45th episode of the Sup, Paul podcast. And in this episode, we're talking with Charlie MacArthur, C-Mac, a pioneer of river paddleboarding, the sport I love so much. In the early 2000s, he was running rivers in Colorado on a paddleboard, exploring, adventuring, creating the curriculum that now the ACA, the American Canoe Association, uses to teach river paddleboarding. We're talking curriculum. We're talking in style. We're talking about the origins of river paddleboarding and maybe even the future. Without further ado, here's Charlie MacArthur. Charlie, thank you for being on the podcast. Let's just jump right into it. What do you do, whether it be on the river or on the snow, to set people up for success? Oh, fantastic question. You know, and that's a, a huge part of our, our training um, to, to set that up. You know, asking them, you know, what what can we do? What do we need to do to make this an, an excellent day or to have this session work for you? Which is very different than what do you want to work on in your paddling? <laughs> you know, so if I go out and, and I ask that and the person's like, you know, I don't really, I, I got my jam. This is what I want to do and I just want to follow you and you know, that might be all we do. Fantastic. Is there learning that can still take place? Absolutely. You know, if I flip my board upside down in front of them and then they want to try it, <laughs> that, that's fantastic. I love that, by the way. I haven't done that in a while. I need to do that. <laughs> do you take your fins out when you do that? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> well, I, 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 I run with a, a single retractable fin, so I don't really have to worry about it too much. Don't if, worry. If that's right. Yeah. yeah. With, the, with the hall, that, that's great. That's it. I just was going through making writing uh, notes up for three different sports on metaphor um, because th- that's also a great thing to play with. Uh, you know, when we do that when somebody comes to us and they yeah, you're a surfer. Okay, great. Well, we can work on those things transfer very well over to uh, the board or <laughs> say they're skiers or they're uh, climbers, you know. Um, so you're trying to connect uh, their prior experience and context more quickly. So that's one way to help to answer that first question is how do you, how do you create that, uh, uh, the expectation to have a great day? What, what was the question again specifically? How do you, how do you right? set someone up for success? Let's just focus set, on, yes, on, on the river. Success. Like if a person is, you know, saw a video and says, I want to get into river paddleboarding, I'm mm-hmm. going to take my first clinic. Uh, and, you know, regardless of ACA, like just were a couple of your like, you know, verbal pointers to set someone else, for, someone up for success. Yeah. So the, asking them, so if they have, uh, you know, a way that they like to learn or they like to approach the day. Um, and uh, then there's uh, that the, the transfer from other sports to help accelerate their learning. And what I like to do often, well, probably, probably about everybody, as I said, don't believe anything I say, because we already know that we don't believe it from somebody else until we experience it ourselves. So that whole experiential notion um, you know, it takes them out from trying to do it. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not a person. I don't use right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I use plus and minus and is it more or less efficient? And, um, you know, I like to ask my instructors, you know, what's the, what's the most and least efficient, uh, form of paddling, um, especially my stand-up instructors. And it turns out stand-up's one of the least. <laughs> so you say, well, why would we do that? Well, because it's damn fun, and it's really it can be really challenging. And why wouldn't you want to do that? 
So, um, you know, we're not, we're not doing this cause it's efficient. However, with, within that, we want to have fun and, uh, keep ourselves healthy and be a, use as efficient technique as possible. But that, that whole success thing is some folks don't know how to, to learn. So when you, uh, especially at the higher levels, when you can say, kind of disarm them by saying, you know, I'm not the guy with all the answers. I'm here to help <laughs> learn with you. Mm, and, mm. you know, that's, that's a much more fun, uh, collaborative way to go about it, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, and explore. Um, you know, I love the, the play aspect you're talking about. And, and I do kind of like the, that uh, attitude of saying, well, hang on, I don't want to get all techie. <laughs> Getting all techie, it doesn't mean anything unless it translates to fun to me. Exactly. Um, you know, it's like, well, what's the point? And then from an instructor and trainer standpoint, anything we do in that moment, if we can't connect it to our clients and our guests, what's the point? You know, does, does it have, does it have use or import? You know, the, everything we do, I believe needs to come back to the beginner paddler, the intermediate or expert paddler that is just, a, you know, wanting to go out and paddle, not necessarily, um, uh, you know, get all get all techy about it. They want to have fun. They want to get better. So I think everybody wants to learn. They just don't want to feel like they're being taught. Exactly. I, I think that's yeah. true. And and you know, being able to to give the tools so someone could have. I mean, a paddleboard is a is your own craft that you have to pilot. So giving a person the tools that they could actually paddle that craft on their own is great. Uh, I want to give one little anecdotal story. When I was in Europe with my buddy Connell Herps, who's a an Australian paddler and just, you know, all around good person. We were on, uh, some, some rivers where the Czech population were fantastic river paddleboarders. We're like, we look around like there are 30 paddlers all with us. Like, where did this come from? I've never paddled with this many quality paddlers, but she pointed something out. She pointed that they're all slalom paddlers mm -hmm. and all racers. So according to her terms, frowny face, tight pant racers like i'm not into this and so like she actually <laughs> deliberately was like jumping in the river and flipping the board up and uh you know riding the the nose through rapids as opposed to getting into your proper stance you know pivot at a 90 degree and you know all of this type of stuff and it was amazing it. to watch the reaction of all these slalom racers on paddle boards who would look at each other like um do we allow that uh, should we try that and <laughs> then when it. when people were starting to like deliberately jump in or do 360s on their board or you know doing other things and starting to laugh like nobody yep. had laughed like in a half a day's worth of paddling and Connell's like this is dumb oh <laughs> uh, way to loosen them up and I'm sorry who was it that, that was doing the, uh, the tricks uh, her name is Connell Herps uh, she's an Australian uh, that I met uh, originally in Chile I, I did a, a, a trip on the Rio Puelo and she was a client and then since then we've paddled in New Zealand together and she's come to the United States and this was on a European trip with Davide actually uh, on the Socha uh, in in Slovenia we're on the Socha and then this was a, a river in Austria oh that's <laughs> so great and I love that story loosen up all the gate gateheads yeah that's great the frowny face tight pant racers I'm not having fun they're not <laughs> having fun let's do something to make them laugh and that like it great. took a while it literally like everybody was looking at each other like I don't know I mean oh I, uh, I don't know yeah exactly you don't know <laughs> so let's learn <laughs> yeah no man nothing better than play so good
we, we as adults, learn uh, not to play anymore in, in many circumstances. So uh, I enjoy watching kids uh, splash around in the water uh, and, and learn those skills. Bend with the, you know, the Whitewater Park where I'm from has been there now for five years. And uh, now it's a scene. Now people, kids in particular, know what a wave is without ever touching salt water. And mm-hmm. they'll, there's three channels, uh, there's a habitat, fish habitat, there's like a tubers, like 12 ledge drop type of uh, channel, and then there's nice. the, the, the three waves uh, where, where surfers and boaters will play. Well, kids will drop in that center uh, channel and swim through it, often without PFDs, without any supervision. And the first time I saw that, I'm like, oh, that's dangerous. That's, that's a little reckless. Where's the supervision? And then I thought, well, this is how you become watermen. when you're at an age where you're fearless kind of figure out what a current is what uh, an eddy is what the hydrology of a river is and be comfortable with it so like these at young ages these kids are becoming the new type of waterman an inland waterman yeah i agree uh that just sparked two thoughts one is um a handful of guys and girls that learned uh, to surf on the river here first in glenwood and then went to the ocean, and I was like, "Wow, you, this this is probably a whole new uh, generation starting." Where you've got one of the best uh, ocean simulators, a river wave, and you know they can learn the timing and whatnot, even though it's more river specific. And then I was able to give them at least a little bit of what the preview would be in the ocean with ocean etiquette and you know how much harder it is to find positioning on the wave there, especially with people. And, uh, you know, tell them, hey, if you can, go take a lesson. <laughs> and then to hear them come back and go, oh, my God, the river, the ocean was so fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then you see their skills pick up again on the river. It's really cool. The second part about watching kids, I remember first seeing that in Salida, you know, very, uh, the, the, the hole that's just below the bridge, which is pretty friendly. Um, a little lower angle uh, river there than over on the fork, so it's a little more friendly on the swims. And same thing, local kids jumping in on a hot day and just dropping right into the hole swimming. Um, and, it, you know, interestingly enough, when my daughter and, and some of my kids' uh, courses and classes will often, almost always swim some features, uh, uh, what we're doing, it will be sessioning in one place, say it's the Glenwood Wave. And we'll say, hey, let's, you know, worst thing would happen is you fall off and swim. Let's go do that first. And we'll end up with five, six, seven laps swimming through a wave or, you know, dropping into a hole and flushing through, laughing our heads off first. And, uh, you know, and I think, God, I wish I get more adults to do that. (laughs) (laughs) The kids is just more natural, you know, in in a lot of ways. You're certainly one of the the pioneers of river paddleboarding, Uh, probably the earliest one to to experience rivers on a paddleboard and and explore and and work with brands to to build river-specific boards. You're also one that's created or helped create the ACA river paddleboarding curriculum. Can you uh, elaborate more on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, That was pretty cool because, um, you know, as as a kayak um, instructor trainer, uh, which I became back in the mid-90s, I think, uh, it was mostly, you know, uh, rubbing shoulders with the folks around in this area in the West, and then whoever happened to come in, I didn't, I wasn't branching out as much. And so that was a real nice way to branch out and meet a whole nother crew. I hadn't never been to an ACA conference 
So in 2011, uh, we went out on, on the Ohio River, I think it was, in, um, uh, where were we, in Kentucky? Uh, St. Oh, gosh, I can't remember. A lot of bourbon and horses out there. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really great because uh, we, we were, um, uh, uh, I met uh, Josh Hall and um, Trey Knight and Keith Keller and those guys, with all our experience, was whitewater, sea kayak, stand-up paddle, and surf, and stand-up paddle, surf. So you really had the, a great mix there. And um, uh, Josh Hall and I had put together the curriculum for flatwater. And then I had put together the whitewater version. And those guys had some of that version as well. So we married those. Um, I'd already put out a DVD in 2010 called Rivers Up. And uh, that was taking it all the way through class three um, as far as technique and um, a little bit of tactics, of course. And uh, so really was it was just marrying canoe, kayak and surfing. Um, and I think one of the more exciting things about it uh, was the non-traditional aspects. So we had, say, in canoeing, there's that thing about, which I think is loosening up a little, about never switching sides. You know, you're a righty or you're a lefty. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I got enough asymmetry in my body. I don't need to make it worse. <laughs> and we got to train with um, Kevin Michelson and some other C1s here and, you know, talk to them about how that asymmetry uh, really wrecks or can wreak havoc on the body. So... Um, and as we know, some you know, it's just nice to paddle on side, switch hands and paddle on side. Uh, and it took a while. Um, I know you can relate to this, and anybody paddling in rapids is to be in a class three or four rapid and then switch your grip. <laughs> that was scary at first. Now we don't even think about it. Uh, yeah, and just as long as you're staying low. And you know, when I I would kind of when I got into river paddleboarding, I was in in central oregon by myself wanting to do multi-day solo trips so you know mm -hmm. you have the lower to shoots you have the the john day you have you know wonderfully swift rivers uh that are not damn controlled but like i don't know how i don't know anything about rivers literally i don't know how anything about rivers and stand up paddle boarding just seems like a good way to explore them so I was just kind of self-taught, and anything that I, I did was just trial and error until I went to the Pay at River Games, where I met Mike Tavares and Dan Gavir. And Mike T. in particular was all about the, the, the ambidextrous stance, always leading into a, a wave or a rapid towards the toes. And mm -hmm. I thought, oh, there's, this, there's a technique. There's a, there's a form of efficiency to this. People know yep. how to do it. Oh, fantastic. And, you know, since since then, like, I've really focused on my own idea of, like, that, you know, be symmetrical, <laughs> move towards the most efficient uh, manner possible, and it's your left hand, it's your right hand, it's cross-bowing. And if you're in the middle of a rapid and you need to switch something, you know, be natural with it so that you're you're focused on efficiency. When you take your your hands off, when you take your blade out of the water, you're vulnerable. So you have to know how to do it correctly and when. Yes, and and quickly, absolutely, because there there's you know to everything we do, there's a plus and minus. The uh, I love what you said about the you know trying to face your uh, your direction you know the, on the toe side, and then of course there's times we need to do it where it's more efficient to not do that. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I think that's the cool about the, the non-traditional part in surfing. And of course, this is changing, which is great. Um, you know, you, I get so much surfing feed on my Instagram. It's great. And you're seeing more, uh, especially longboarders doing switch stance a mm-hmm. lot. Mm-hmm. And it's just beautiful. And we didn't, I don't remember seeing that as much in, 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 uh, in the previous five years. So uh, I like that about stand up right away. I was like, oh, wow, I've got to work on my, uh, my switch stance. And it feels weird. And that's good. Yeah, I'm surprised ocean surfers don't really, unless you're a shortboard surfer doing tricks, you know, really focus on the, the, the multi-directional paddling, both your stance and even the direction of the board is going. Yeah, well, it's, it's the longboarders doing it more that I've seen because that platform is a little easier. You know, it seems like the top-notch shortboarders are doing it a bit, um, but it's a little twitchier, so it's a little bit tougher. We're, you know, starting to do switch on it. On a stand-up, uh, I mean, on a longboard is a little easier, which I can attest uh, by my my own experience. Um, and it's great because I, I don't think I ever would have done that had I not had the time on uh, stand-up. Uh, you know, it's a small uh, two-foot day. You know, you're out with well, with my daughters, my <laughs> wife. You know, and, and you're chilling. Like, well, let's try let's try something different. So. Um, you know, with the stand-up board and having the, pad, the paddle, it's like you're, you're cheating, you know, so you could have a low brace cruising along, and I was like, well, I might as well try some switch. Oh, yep. that's interesting. And then <laughs> having done it, done it, doing it a bunch in the river, I already had uh, a context, uh, so it was starting to feel less strange, and then that was natural to take it over to a skinnier, regular uh, prone <laughs> paddling uh, longboard. And I, I really, I mean, I would not have been that exploratory, I don't believe, uh, had it not been, had I not done a first on a stand-up board. Explore. Try something new. Do something different. I didn't even know what a crossbow was until Sup the Magazine posted a photo of Ken Hovey uh, mm-hmm. with a, a crossbow in the middle of the river, and it looked odd and awkward, and like, why would a person do that? But uh, yeah, explore. Yep. Be different. Uh, going yeah. s- still with the, the ACA, uh, you were pretty much, you know, you mentioned uh, Trey Knight, there are a handful of people at the most who are teaching at the upper level of, of river paddleboarding, the, the rapids and instructing instructors to do it. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that organization and those higher levels of, of river paddleboarding in that. Yeah, um, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm right in the middle of um, trying to expand that. Um, uh, Davide Sartoni, uh, I think your buddies with. Mm-hmm. He um, uh, actually just pinged him, and I said, hey, man, I think you need to be, become an instructor trainer, and he's all psyched to start training in that direction. Um, and um, I know Rita has her own thing going up mm-hmm. there with Paddle Canada, but she's one to, to pick as well. You know, Davy Days, you know, has all that ropes course mm-hmm. uh, background, and you can just tell that, that guy's you know, on a track to go up to higher levels. And I think Rita, with her uh, ski teaching background, um, she's channeling all that great energy and focusing it and, you know, dialing up her stuff. Also, um, when I, um, I'm talking to, uh, Natalie Zollinger and Brittany Parker, mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, I know, cause I want to get some females out there, but also they got their, uh, level five a few years ago. And, um, so you know, one of the things we do as instructor trainer educators is, um, to get the, uh, is to get as many instructor trainers out there as possible. The demand is there, that's for sure, because we only have two of us 
in Colorado, and uh, I think there's two back east, three back east, uh, and um, that that are river um, mm-hmm. specific. And so, yeah, in the middle of uh, working with Kent Ford on the kayak side, working on um, uh, in, uh, expanding the training for those folks who want to become instructor trainers, and that's really fun because now you're working at a you know much higher level because um, you're not just working on your own technique, but how do we get other, teach other people to teach other people how to do this? <laughs> and uh, it's just, you know, it's great heady stuff. You, you're, you're always coming up with cool ideas. And, um, you know, a couple of friends of mine got some advanced te- coaching degrees at a Sterling University. Josh Hall uh, was one of them. And uh, so bouncing ideas off each other. So I think COVID's helped to... Um, to uh, uh, start a fire under that, those conversations via zoom and Good. Uh, phone calls. Yeah, it's just great. I had a surgery this year, so I was off skis. I taught until January 1st mm. and had a uh, spinal fusion. Mm. <clears throat> and, uh, so the zoom for me, I know a lot of people are sick of it, but it was just a godsend to be able <laughs> to stay connected and keep networks going. And it's just been great. Well, as the, the curriculum evolves and develops, as you bring more and more different instructors on with different perspectives and different techniques, uh, how does technology also change, let alone the, the river paddling technology? But what about digital technology? Can you host a clinic via Zoom? I just did one last night. Yeah. Yeah, with Rita. And uh, um, they unfortunately got in a lockdown. So we didn't get, uh, much of her, st- her staff that she was doing a staff training. Uh, but we got a lot of, uh, great visuals. I said, no problem. We can watch anybody and, um, start talking about fundamentals. Um, and so she's got a, so we, we put it in the, uh, looked at it through the lens or template of what she has in Canada, which is a nice little hierarchy triangle of skills. Uh, but it's all the same stuff, you know, um, which is pretty cool. And uh, people were starting to get comfortable looking at and talking about um, um, skills and how skills interact with each other to uh, create um, um, uh, efficient paddling or, or less so. And then looking at what, what kind of coaching you would give uh, that paddler that you've just watched. And it's just great. So much fun. And then the thing about that is uh, uh, we recorded that session and then she can um, look at that or show that to other people that weren't able to attend. So I, I just think it's fantastic. And I've been doing that all winter with skiing um, on a local, uh, you know, for Aspen Ski, ski co-instructors, but also for um, PSAA in a nine-state regional. And actually, no, it was great. We expanded. We had people from around the country doing um, um, video analysis for skiing. So I was overjoyed. You know, I was like, wait, where are you calling in from? New York? We have somebody from California and Northwest. And so that's been amazing within both these worlds to uh, expand the outreach. And it's, it's great to, to hear that perspective. Uh, my last podcast is with uh, uh, Lindsay Richter, who runs Ladies All Ride. 
and she's a little concerned about how the internet might uh, take over uh, curriculum, people offering free information, at least on the YouTube element, mm. let alone the personalized, uh, I think personalized clinics we didn't really talk about as, as much as you just did, but the idea of like learning online, sitting on your couch, may mm. or may not be beneficial, but if you're actually engaged in an active clinic, I think uh, that, uh, that broadens what's capable and also personalizes it. Oh, massively so. I don't think we should be intimidated. And certainly that's part of the conversation is, uh, you know, is this going to take over teaching? Um, are you familiar with um, CARVE, the CARVE system in skiing? Uh, I have an idea of what the CARVE is, but I bet it's an acronym for something. Uh, I don't think it's an acronym or maybe. I just don't know it. Um, it but uh, it's essentially a, a footbed that's a sensor, a pressure sensor. Oh, okay, plate. okay and movement that you put under, underneath um, in anybody's boot. Um, and it's loaded with data, like you get all of your real-time information, right? Yeah, it's phenomenal. And <laughs> it does have a coaching um, uh, piece, uh, and it's a, it's a person's voice going, get more forward, more weight on the outside ski. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh. And I was so excited. A buddy of mine, uh, Bill uh, Melentine, who is one of the only other guys to paddle the Class 4 stretch here with me, brilliant paddler and very uh, eccentric. He loves his foot straps. Um, we messed around with those. On the river? Little, little, yeah, a little tangent here. Um, I messed around with them back in 2008. Uh, one of the things you could do is roll your board, uh, which works okay in flat water. doesn't work in white water so well. <sighs> And uh, he just went nuts with it, and um, it took until the last couple of years to actually get him out of the foot braces. But again, everything plus and minus. I mean, yeah. you know, he could hold these huge edge angles and standing in that in that uh, uh, staggered stance. Um, and then uh, he, you know, not upsetting the board uh, when you move your feet around. Of course, it, especially an inflatable board, it tends to, uh, uh, you know, it's not as, as smooth of a of a uh, a motion right whenever you move your feet that's the downside the upside is is you might get in a better position mm -hmm. um so he, he consequently making beautiful s turns uh we we're talking about switching <laughs> foot stance before and you think about a, a narrow s turn and it's a lot smoother if you don't you know come in toe side come out heel side or vice versa um so he would always be in that position this also led to comical things like hitting a rock and getting launched onto your face uh, because his feet are locked in the foot straps. <laughs> yeah. So that part scared me. He got a, a face mask to, to deal with that. But, um, I finally uh, got him to relinquish some straps, but he, he still loves them. Anyway, a fun side, side tangent. And, uh, <laughs> he, uh, yeah, but still phenomenal paddler. He, uh, his brother had the carve system and I just happened to run into him. Uh, my last day before I went in for surgery, and I always meet his brother every year and give him some free coaching. And I said, today is going to be amazing because we're going to mess with that carve <laughs> system. And we get an instant feedback on my coaching. And so, say we're working on equal edge angles as we come through the turn, tipping both skis at the same time. So he was at about 55%. In one run, he went up to 95%. Hmm. So... I was looking at that and I was guessing he was in the nineties and here's the hard data telling us exactly where he was, you know, even parallel edges to the turn or not. It was just amazing. And being a, uh, a tech head, he's got like 50 data points coming off of this. And I said, that's 49 too many. 
<laughs> he goes, I get what you mean. I said, yeah, you, it's just too much stuff. And so, as usual, less is more. And the coaching coming into his earbud, which we took out, uh, was not nearly as good as having, you know, you there with them or me there with uh, with a student to have the timing and the right words to fit their script and to customize that that coaching. And obviously, your background is is in coaching, whether it be on the water or in the mountains. And uh, it sounds like you're very data oriented and technique oriented. And I've had Davide on my podcast a couple of times as well, and we've we've talked about that. And he he's very particular about, uh, should I say, the right way. Uh, and I'm very particular about the weird way. I say flip oh, I the board it. upside down and paddle backwards with your blade in your hand and your T-grip. You know, be weird and yes. focus more on style and rhythm. So when you're talking about the carve system and earbuds in, talking about, you know, a little more toe pressure, I'm thinking, well, I wouldn't be able to hear my hip-hop then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. Everything's got a plus and minus. So already with that guy, for instance, on that system, he's already way down in the data hole. And I'm like, dude, you're not having fun there. He goes, you know, well, he's pretty cerebral. So, but his skiing wasn't getting any better, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So we figure out, well, what do you really want to do? You know? And, uh, it's just like in the hip hop, I go out there and you're going, Oh, right, right on. I got rhythm and that's getting me dialed in. But, uh, and are we conscious of, what's going on so on the other flip side uh you know music is one of the best things to get us into play mode right yep and that's where we where we are not holding on to some technical stuff you know it's like feel the force luke absolutely but uh they also you know luke skywalker had to figure <laughs> out how to do his levitation and you know how to f focus his energy and then most important what happens when you don't have you're not jiving with your with your music and you're, and you're like, man, I can't get it to work today. <laughs> what sort of strategies do we, can we rely on? Uh, you know, can you call your coach and get a few <laughs> tips? Yep. But you're out there in the wilderness, you are your own coach and you go, okay, what were those couple little things that Davide, you know, reminded me about? Oh yeah. Let's try that again. <laughs> well, I could I, I could have used that little bit of force yesterday. I was uh, surfing uh, uh, a whole wave on the Wenatchee yesterday with my buddy mm -hmm. Alan Pace, the Jacuzzi wave, and he was in on an, a nine six and a seven eleven. And no matter what board I was doing uh, or making attempts at, I would just get bucked out. And uh, I, I tried to keep my composure, but uh, after about the twentieth lap, I uh, I was definitely free with my f bombs. And as soon as you get <laughs> frustrated sure. as soon as you get frustrated but keep on trying the same thing you're not going to succeed and i didn't succeed yesterday and i was frustrated with it uh we'll give it a better attempt today but you have to you have to i i, I don't want to say you have to because this is uh the antithesis of what i'm about to say i think uh -huh. style really directs your run uh style really di directs the flow and your connection with it and I really encourage people to find their own way, 
use their own system of, of getting experiential education and then yeah. using mentors like yourself or whomever it might be. And I really, I would like to, I would like to take a course of years. I haven't, uh, I would love to paddle with Rita Boychek and I'm planning on to this, uh, this summer. Uh, I met Davide in Reno a, a number of years ago as he was running the rapids upside down on his 12, six board that he had. So like, I, I, I take pride to kind of uh, introduced, uh, Davide to a couple of different styles and gave him one of my first clinics. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's good to have a mentor. Luke had Yoda. You, you, you have to have those, those voices of wisdom in your earbuds as, as you're running down a river. What's the future of river paddleboarding? Future of river paddleboarding. Um, well, I think that, as you had mentioned before, the, um, you know, that there was a plateau course, Unfortunately, as we know, there's a race to the bottom who can make the cheapest board. <laughs> um, I mean, at least in Costco now, I think it's 400 and some odd dollars. They have a body glove that's actually works pretty well. I actually paddled that in Texas last week. So it's not, it's not the, 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 the low performance, uh, as low a performance as what they used to carry. Well, I think Luke <clears> Evans so was good. a part of that, right? What's that? I think Luke Evans was a part of that, uh, the yeah, body glove yes, world. He, yep. And uh, is it? Luke Hopkins. Hopkins. Luke, Luke Hopkins. Hopkins. That's yeah. right. Correct. Yeah. Thanks. I'm, I'm. I'm glad I remembered that. I'm like, wait a minute. Uh, yes. He, he uh, great, fantastic paddler, and yeah, that was a good push. Uh, I think. I don't know if he's still working with him. Hopefully. Um, and then you, you know we we saw that all these companies were going to contract once that plateau is hit, and then um, you know you see the strong companies that come out of that and are making great boards. You know, Badfish, Hala. We have got. Um, uh, I know Dan was making a board with uh, Fanatic. Fanatic. Uh, uh, I don't know how much penetration they have in the market. Uh, then um, I picked up uh, um, uh, the board out of um, uh, Idaho. Uh, Hydrus. Trying to hardboard again that Barry Kinnon helped design. Mm -hmm. um, Hydrus. So that's kind of fun. I don't know what kind of penetration they have, but um, you know it's great to see. Uh, the obviousness of the the uh, park and play stuff, which is not Sut Paul's uh, major forte, because you <laughs> like to do the get out there and do the solo. Um, uh, I just saw that uh, what Badfish should put out a uh, 18 pound board. Uh, was it called a super light or highlight? I can't remember what it was. That looks like that got a right a good light a right up. So I'm thinking, you know, the inflatables like they had predicted where it's going to be huge in the inland mm -hmm. inland zone mm -hmm. for a lot of obvious reasons. And I think getting those lighter uh, for folks that aren't smacking as many rocks is really good. <clears throat> and of course, the whitewater one's got to stay a little heavier. Um, uh, so I think it's, it, to try to answer your question is that it's really narrowed down to a few companies that they can focus on, and, you know, they're doing well and, and making money. <clears throat> they can drive more uh, R&D that way. You know, I think we'd all love to see something that's inflatable that has a hard release edge. Mm -hmm. um, I know uh, Peter getting close with that with the um, dual stack the surfing system. model. That's the, the Peño. The, the stack. The Peño yeah, and, and the Playita are the, the the double stack systems that he has going on. Yeah, that's really cool. I think that that's really smart. So he's trying to get that same down rail uh, working, um, and I uh, heard good things about that board. I'd like to try it. But I think, uh, 
yeah, I think that's going to be it. And there's been a few attempts to try and get that <clears throat> rail to work um, and then to get the inflatable uh, stiffer. Um, you know, that's why Corin stayed with, with plastic, plastic so long. Mm-hmm. He, he really made a good run of it. He tried to really make it work. Um, and it's tough because to get it light, you know, um, it's, you're, 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 it's going to be, you got to put all that, that uh, plastic in the bottom so it stays stiff. Um, you know, I think he's got something where he's putting an inflatable inside, uh, the plastic, which is, he's always very innovative. <laughs> Uh, but then, you know, you have the bathtub problem, right? You're sitting low. Yeah. But then, you know, how fast does it drain? I mean, it's just, it's so fascinating, all the cool attempts. And I think we're going to, it's just going to get better and better. What would replace drop stitch? Is there anything on the, the market, maybe in the military or in, in space that could uh, have uh, uh, essentially an inflatable that's not drop stitch construction? Boy, that is, boy, isn't that the question? <clears throat> I can't, I can't imagine anything other than that right now. You know, I guess if you had chambers, um, but but now you're connecting, so to speak, those drop stitches. Uh, you know, I don't know, maybe some carbon version where you get a carbon wall in there, but now you're talking about it's vertical rather than that rather flush to the way, <laughs> you know, flush to the to the uh, the deck. Uh, uh, like some folks have done. Um, and, you know, I mean, <clears throat> it would just be amazing. Um, and if the industry yeah, is, a, is a rush to the a race to the, the, the price point board, you know, the, the people like uh, the hollows of the world that spend most of their money in product and development and, and prototypes and, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day makes no money at all, it, uh, it's like, okay, so who's going to be innovative enough to, to build technology and willing to prototype and, and build the, the, the type of products that will create a population? Who do you see are river paddleboarders right now? I, I see it's like 40-year-old men and 30-year-old women who have an athletic background, primarily like backcountry background, mountain biking, backcountry skiing, whatever it might be. Like, who do you see the, the market for river paddleboarding is? Market for river paddleboarding, when I think you hit it there, um, yeah, it's hard to say an age demographic. You know, everything's kind of tweaked, probably in areas that we live where people of any age are healthier generally than the average person in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, you know, where we see folks getting a, a lower performance board and getting out of the water is great. That's not necessary. I mean, that could be river for sure, tidal or, uh, um, you know, non-tidal rivers that mm-hmm. are mellow. If we're talking whitewater, um, you know, the folks that – there's a lot of folks that just go down the river. They call themselves, what you know, river paddlers, mm-hmm. but they don't know they don't know eddies and how to edge or surf that well and – they generally uh, like somebody in an inflatable kayak and go, well, this is really easy. So I'll just uh, go up, you know, one or two levels above my pay grade <laughs> and, you know, maybe survive, maybe get in trouble. So we see some of that in stand up. Um, I think you mentioned before talking about Mike T, you know, all the, the, the kayak, uh, all the stand up paddlers, virtually all of them that I know um, were already great kayakers prior to mm-hmm. Not necessarily great surfers, but great kayakers. Um, I have had the chance to coach, you know, just elite level surfers uh, on a stand-up board in the river, and they pick it up quick because they're so athletic sure. and they spend so much time on a board. But as far as the folks that excel from uh, the river zone, if they've been in a kayak first, they they just have a way superior 
knowledge of currents and placement um, and technique. And uh, what I'm also seeing um, uh, is, the, which I'm very happy about because I'm half on a kayak, half on stand-up, hmm. is seeing um, um, uh, uh, river, you know, stand-up paddlers in the river getting into kayak. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I tell them is, "Go, congratulations! Um, <laughs> you're gonna hey make some more roof on your uh, more room on your roof, and also this is gonna make your stand-up paddling way better." And they're like, "Oh, this is great!" So um, I don't know if you know Ashley Bean. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, her boyfriend Jerry. He just came uh, last week to my pool session. <laughs> Got his role in the first 15 minutes. Unbelievable. It doesn't happen very much. So I actually owe him some beer. I, <laughs> I'm glad I remember that. I got to bring that tonight to the pool session. But, you know, here's a guy who's, you know, he and, he and Ashley, they just charge in their boards all the time. And I think, uh, you know, like you, I heard you were saying about the play aspect. I mean, to play in another vehicle mm-hmm. and go, oh, cool. What can I take from this vehicle and bring it over to this vehicle and vice versa? Um, much like we do um, in, the, in the teaching world. I'm like, what can I take from the kayak world and the whitewater world and bring to skiing? that we do in the coaching realm and vice versa. And the cross-pollination is, is great. And that's what happens about this time of year. You know, we're still excited for winter. And so I'm talking to all my winter mentors and <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobis, and then I talk to my whitewater Obi-Wan Kenobis, and, and it's just the, the, the conversation is really fun. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think, uh, you know, I, we, that might be a good point is the kids and adults that go directly to river surfing as out of that out of the, out of them that group to pull them into stand up would be a natural piece. So I think there's probably a lot of cross pollination um, that will start happening or is already starting to happen. Finding that younger generation who are enthusiastic and maybe have the 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 wherewithal to get expensive equipment like a river paddleboard, you know, starts around twelve hundred bucks. 1200 bucks so mm-hmm. you know the, the price barriers you know you have to be in your 30s and 40s sometimes to afford certain sports but uh i paddled yeah. this week with uh caitlin kazan who's a 25 year old phenomenal paddler who's been on uh, you know all of her life on the river raft guiding and things like that she's just taken up paddleboarding in the last couple of years and is running big class three wave trains on the tiniest of boards like huh all right there's the generation that's who i want yeah. to look for now Yep, I, I think you're right. And I think, uh, did you ever listen to The Hammer Factor? I know The Hammer Factor, yeah. Yeah, and I uh, finally started listening to it, and it was really great because uh, I love that they do rants and raves at the end. <laughs> and uh, um, uh, one that I have, because one of the things they're looking at is the, they're talking about the, where the sport is, and it's so directed towards class four and five and yeah. gnarliness. And you got these kids, <laughs> yeah, just just going nuts. I mean, they're doing things they're just amazing at a young age because they're watching their their heroes do it. And uh, you know, uh, I'm like, well, great. Where's the nice entry level boat for for folks, uh, or that mid level boat that's not a, a sliced tail? I actually just took a couple folks that were going to get sold creek boats as beginners, and I go, no, 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 return the Machno and get the get your. The only thing that's available was a. Um, um, was the antics, the newer antics. Because as a beginner, you come up with a tail that you can actually use that has an edge rather than a big bulbous thing <laughs> where you can't fill the water, you know, you're going to become a better paddler. Um, but what, what they don't have right now in the kayak market is the classic river runner. 
um, they're calling their creek boats river runners. Yeah. It's like, eh. Even though they're getting better, they're really not a true river runner. So that would be uh, my rant is like, hey, you know, kayaks getting a little more uh, traction again now. You know, obviously stand-up paddle took a chunk out of that market, yeah. which is understandable. Well, that's why I always said, you know, well, let's, let's get stand-up paddlers into, into kayaks too. And, uh, you know, I might, I'd love to see everybody have both. And if you can afford a canoe or a raft, do that too. Yeah. Change your perspective. <laughs> yeah. The more, the, the more opportunities you have to change your perspective, whether it be on a, a river craft or, you know, an airplane seat to Indonesia, uh, take advantage of it. I think best, best form of education. Absolutely. Clarify yeah. to me, because I, I've only heard hearsay, like what's the, the relationship back in, uh, back in the day between uh, C4 and Uli? I knew there were some like legal issues, but were they a same company? Were they using the same technology? What was the story there? Oh, yeah. So that was, uh, that was their first foray into inflatables, which I was all excited about because, you know, we could not be bashing up our fiberglass boards. And um, so they they did a hundred of the a hundred of those boards, and then they separated from Uli because they wanted to do, do to do their own thing because they were you know two separate companies, and then Uli went off and did their own boards. And um, one of the early ones I saw actually I think it was 2008 when Dan came out, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. uh, or was it 2009? Because we did the very first stand-up whitewater competition in Glenwood. And then that was 2009 and 2010 Vail Games and uh, Reno started. <clears throat> and then there were some in Europe that sprouted. And Dan had uh, a Jerry Lopez uh, model uh, mm-hmm. stand-up of Uli, which was pretty cool. And um, uh, But at that point, uh, C4 and, and the guys mm-hmm. uh, who started that company, they started building their own inflatables uh, out of Korea. And then eventually China. And we had two, we had two different... Uh, factories doing two different um, inflatables, which was pretty cool. That is pretty cool. I, I have one of them here. I finally picked one up. It was an early 10.6, about 28 wide board, and that was our template to build the uh, the C-Mac with. Um, we just you know made it wider and a little chunkier. And the C-Mac. Tweaked. Of course it's called the C-Mac. I felt very honored that you know I never said, hey, we've got to put my name on it, but he goes, we're going to put your name on it. But uh, they've mostly gone on to doing a ton of foiling now is what they're into, getting me into that. That's well. that's where it's going. You know, Maui to Hood River to the rest of the world seems kind of a, a progression of things. And, you know, when, mm-hmm. when Dan Duvere got into to paddleboarding, it was because he was in uh, the gorge doing the wind stuff. And then yep. now Dan's all about the foiling as well. So uh, that's, that's, that's good to see. All right, Charlie. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, and thank you for your curriculum and your enthusiasm. Everyone that I talk to, at least in Colorado, who is a river paddleboarder uh, knows uh, Charlie MacArthur as the man. So thank you for taking time and uh, expressing your vision and your position in the, the sports of self-propelled outdoor activity. Thank you, Charlie. Paul, thank you very much, buddy. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Have a great day. I look forward to paddling with you. Me too. (laughs) Bye-bye.